Welcome to Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association. In today's episode, we continue with part two of our conversation on patient-centered behavioral care for older adults. This discussion is moderated by Dr. Karen Dionysotis, fourth-year psychiatry resident and incoming geriatric psychiatry fellow at Johns Hopkins Medicine. She's joined by Dr. Stephanie Nothel, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Johns Hopkins Medicine, and Dr. David Barron, Professor of Psychiatry at Western University of Health Sciences. They'll address the key takeaways discussed in Part 1, so if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and give it a listen. Here's Dr. Diana Sotis. We're going to move on to the key takeaways and then, and then go into scenario number two. Um, so I think the key takeaways, I don't want to continue to belabor what you both went over so thoroughly, but really looking at that whole person assessment um, for each person. So as you mentioned, talking about, you know, what do you like to do for fun, right? What are things going on in a, in a person's life that might be contributing to their presentation, such as changes in mobility, you know, maybe changes in uh, friends passing away, things of that nature, Um what is normal aging versus pathology, right? So I think that is what you said, really, really hitting on, you know, being positive about the things that are going forward and then kind of also keeping an an eye out for things that are more serious and may be caused by something uh, more serious to then to delve further into. Um, The importance of collaboration with, with the patient first and foremost, right? And then additionally with family and caregivers, first and foremost, having someone feel heard and seen is, is, I mean, that's why we do medicine, right? That's why we're here. Um, And then when do you refer out? And I I think you both kind of hit on things that I really, really love about behavioral health integration, right? And one of those many levels of behavioral health integration is one, Dr. Natal, like you said, that co-location, having a psychiatrist embedded in your clinic, whereas not everybody is that lucky, even having ways to consult with psychiatrists uh, or people in the community just to run cases by them is another another great option. Um, So we'll move on to scenario number two. So Mr. Jones is a 75-year-old gentleman with diabetes and heart failure after a recent MI who comes in to see you for hospital follow-up. In the hospital, he was started on many new medications and his wife is worried that they're affecting his mood. Um, she explains that he seems kind of sluggish and, and also lacking motivation, which isn't his baseline, not like him. Prior to hospitalization, he was always busy working around the yard, and now he spends a lot of his time watching television. Um, so, Dr. Nathella, have, have you start kind of with what you think about um, in a primary care setting with having Mr. Jones as a post-hospital follow-up patient? Yeah, um, this is another really common situation in in my primary care clinic. Anytime I see someone who is in the hospital, my first thought, second thought, and third thought is what has happened to their medication list? (laughs) And does the patient and and does the family understand what has happened to the medication list? Because it can get quite complicated. Um, We actually have... um, an example medication list that you know could be um, applicable to this person, um, and and I have to say that um, this list it has what one two three four five six seven eight nine medicines. That's not even anywhere close to the longest medication list that I've seen. Um, you know, patients can accumulate very long medication lists, um, and those those symptoms that that he came in with, um, you know. Yes, could be related, of course, to any number of conditions, um, but 
I'm always as a geriatrician thinking about medications and, and which ones are, are new versus old um, or maybe have had a change in dose. There are many medications um, that can have uh, side effects that can affect the mood. Um, so, and you know, a lot of these are used very commonly in older adults. Um, so steroid medications, um, older adults with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease um, are often started on steroids when they have an exacerbation, um, and they can cause certainly anxiety, um, paranoia, um, some people have hallucinations, um, whereas I have a couple of patients who absolutely love these medicines because they give them a real boost in energy. Beta blockers can um, lower the mood and also cause a lot of fatigue. Um, Varenicline um, for so smoking cessation can cause um, a number of different neuropsychiatric side effects, including nightmares, um, antivirals, uh, um, pain medications, um, which are commonly given after surgeries um, or falls with injuries. Um, epilepsy medications can cause a number of side effects. Um, Levetiracetam is kind of notorious for causing all kinds of irritability and even personality changes in older adults. Um, and then medications used for Parkinson's disease like uh, carbidopa um, can have a number of, of side effects. I've had patients with um, a lot of anxiety, agitation, um, hallucination with, with different medications used for Parkinson's disease. Medicine doesn't stand still, and neither do we. AMA members don't just keep up with medicine, they shape its future. Help move medicine, join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. Um, so, you know, with this patient's presenting symptoms, I, I would really be focused on those medications. You know, what does the list say? What are the side effects of those medicines? And in addition to what the list says, what is the patient and family actually doing? Because um, we're not always very good at it explaining what we want patients to do. And so some, you know, they do the best they can. And sometimes that means they're accidentally taking too much or too little of a medicine or missing one altogether. Um, I realized that was a pretty um, family medicine, internal medicine focused assessment of, of his symptoms. I'm curious, Dr. Barron, what, what your thoughts are. Well, actually very similar. I mean, the first thing I would do was I would congratulate the wife for thinking that maybe some of the symptoms she saw might be related to the medications. Um, I would certainly want to ask the patient, what's his perspective? Has he noticed that maybe taking these medications, uh, you know, I see some of them were once a day, some were BID, some were TID. I mean, if this were me, I think I'd have a hard time with this. So, you know, taking the meds, the expense of the medications, you know, depending on their insurance, he, they could be, you know, they could be deciding, am I going to take the meds or I'm going to eat dinner tonight? So I would really want to get a good perspective from both the wife who was shared this, you know, really wonderful observation, I believe, but with the patient, what does he think is actually going on? Um, oftentimes I've seen some elderly patients who kind of stop living for fear of death. So they won't go out and do anything because they're afraid they're going to have another heart attack. Um, and that's quite tragic. And then it's up to us to say, you know, it's important. Part of your treatment is to maybe do it, you know, walk for two or three minutes a day, sit in a chair and do one of those little mini exercise bike things, you know, where it's just your feet. There's really no resistance. The other thing that I think is really important in the elderly, as you said, it's a family issue. Who's giving the medications? Can he keep these all sorted out? But the idea that every single medication has side effects. There are none that don't have side effects. 
And when we start adding them together, they can even drugs that, that, that normally wouldn't have a particular side effect might have a side effect when they're added, when we have this long list of things going on. So that it's that the medication that we wanna make sure that we're not treating side effects of another medication and then adding another one on. Because I've seen too often when we stop treating a patient, we start treating the med list, which I think is quite tragic. And yet I've seen it time and again over the years. So simplifying it as much as we can, um, making sure the patient understands that all, uh, all medications can have some, we know more than others. Plus as we age, our body responds a little differently. You know, um, I've, it's probably a bad analogy, but I've used it for some of my elderly male patients that, you know, how, you know, how much alcohol were you able to drink when you're 25 versus now that you're 75 or 85? That the body, it's not being sick, but the, you know, you know, we probably can't run as fast as we did when we were in 20s and 30s or ski as quickly so that it's not being sick, but it's a part of the body allowing us, I always say, to slow down and enjoy things a bit more as we get older. But uh, I, I think this medication thing, you almost can't overstate how important it is. Uh, getting the perspective from the patient, making sure we understand, are there financial issues, getting the medications, a lot of them look alike, some of them are very small. So even picking them up, they'll drop them. Um, and, and I think uh, that I, I've probably seen more patients over the, and I'm trained as a psychopharmacologist. I chair the section on psychopharmacology for the group for the advancement of psychiatry. The first thing we go over is, is what is the ability of the patient and the family to take them and then do whatever we can. It's, it's always the lowest dose that's effective for the shortest period of time. Uh, and, and I think patients, I think sometimes start to believe, and I've heard this many times over the years, you know, so they don't want to treat me. They just, you know, I come off the complaint, they give me a new med. So they won't even tell you some of the new complaints for fear of adding another medication added on. I always like to share with the patient that we just want medications that can potentially help symptoms that we can monitor. And we understand that some of these medications might be expensive. There might be other issues. So we're really working together with the patient at the level that they're at, cognitively, financially, otherwise. But the whole idea, again, gets back to quality of life and what can we do to improve that and, uh, and avoid many of the issues that go along with polypharmacy, particularly elderly. That's really, really great. Do either of you have any like tips, tricks, pearls for, um, you know, when patients are really struggling with taking their medications and TID dosing, right? Or struggling with utilizing a pillbox or having somebody, um, you know, I, I've had patients bring in a bag of, of medications and there's like pills at the bottom of the plastic bag. And you're, this, this pill bottle was prescribed six years ago, right? So do you have suggestions or tips for people for um, how to best support patients and their families when they have these complex medical needs that do require medications. Yeah, but go, but oh, go ahead, Dr. Beer. No, I was gonna say um, one of the things I like to do is literally if they bring them in, tell me, are you taking them yourself or is a family member giving them to you? So you find out who's got the responsibility from, you know, when you're about to run out of a medication, you know, who's driving you down to the Walgreens or, you know, fill in the blank pharmacy there. Um, to get a sense of what's going. And then I'll ask them, boy, there's a lot of this stuff going on. Does this ever become challenging? I mean, and say, you know, I think for me, this might be a little challenging. So you're normal. And then I'll say, oh man, I can't remember. You know, they look the same. I forget, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I think we really need to get a, a sense of, I would almost go so far as to say, 
assume it's challenging and have them prove to you that it's not. Because the number of patients who are on polypharmacy with different dosing at different times, um, I can think of very few over 40 years plus um, in, in the field where it hasn't created some issues. So, and then I think we need to work with the patient and the family or the caregiver, simplify it as best we can and work out a plan that, that will work for them. Sometimes a pillbox, um, you know, there are different ways of doing it. You know, I am not a fan of any drug um, that you have to take even over once a day, twice a day maybe. TID dosing, I think, is just, um, you know, we might've learned that in our lectures in medical school that this drug only has a short half-life. But I think we need to understand from a clinical perspective, TID dosing can be very problematic, particularly when you've got a whole host of other meds on board. Yeah, I agree. Um, I really like how you suggested, um, you know, assume that it's challenging um, because I think a lot of times patients and families, um, and I found this particularly with families who feel like they really need to prove for, you know, show up as the caregiver who's dutifully caring for their, their loved one. They don't want to admit that it's hard for them or that they sometimes miss doses. Um, and so kind of normalizing that I think is, is really important and really helpful. Um, I, I like the example that, um, was brought up of, of the bag. Um, I always have people, um, bring in, you know, a, a brown bag, a plastic bag of everything that they have. Um, cause I feel like I can't make good medication recommendations until I know what they're actually taking and what they actually have in their house. Um, and a lot of times it is, oh, I still have this antibiotic or someone once brought in an anticoagulant and they're not supposed to be taking that. Um, and they weren't taking it, but they just had it in their medicine cabinet. And I think, you know, that's a potential safety issue and, and opens up conversations where you can really help somebody out. Um, but I agree that if, you know, if we're recommending that someone take a medicine three times a day, that should really be on us as clinicians to find a better solution. Um, if it's a short-term thing where, you know, they really need to take an antibiotic every eight hours for a short period of time. Okay. Um, but in the long term, I think we need to, to try really hard to do better for patients and families and not expect them to, to, to dose some medication three times a day. Medicine doesn't stand still. And at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. Um, just like we were talking earlier about really partnering um, as family medicine um, docs with um, psychiatrists and therapists, I also sometimes will, will find a, um, a pharmacist friend um, who knows a little bit more about the pharmacology, or I guess, you know, if Dr. Barron and I shared patients, um, since he is a, a psychopharmacologist, he also would be quite knowledgeable about, um, about those medications. But sometimes medications that are recommended as being three times a day, I've learned to pharmacists, you can make some tweaks and, and reasonably dose them twice a day. Um, and so, you know, there's, I only know so much and sometimes, um, partnering with, with colleagues in pharmacy can, can help bring about new ideas or alternative formulations that could make it easier for patients and families. Yeah, that's a great point you raised, Stephanie. One, 
you know, we were taught, and most of these medications, when we talk about half-lives and some of the pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics were literally done on, you know, middle-aged white males. You know, it's only been relatively recently, we've even been looking at the effects of, you know, hormones and how it might vary in women. So in elderly, we know many of these drugs have a much longer half-life because of metabolism issues. I always think it's important to ask the patient about other things they're taking, you know, vitamins, uh, supplements, uh, grapefruit juice, you know, that we can induce, you know, isoenzymes that can change the metabolism. Certainly in the, in the supplement area, I've had many elderly patients who have a bottle of Valium sitting in the, the night. When I get a little anxious, you know, I just take these, not, you know, well, it's not really a medicine. I just take it when I'm a little anxious or I need to sleep. The other point I want to pick up on that I think you said is so important and really want our audience to, to consider this is have a strategy for drugs that you can get off them. Some patients feel like, you know, it's like I'm sentenced, you know, I've, I've got a, you know, I've got a 20 year sentence. I've got to take all these meds forever. I like to talk. It also engages the patient on, you know, if you can get out and maybe walk a little bit and maybe cut back on your salt. You know, I love my McDonald's double cheeseburgers twice a week, but things that they can do that will help them. Maybe we can get rid of some of these. So we're not just there to keep adding more and more drugs, but we want to work with them, with their family members in a very positive way, as opposed to having them feel bad that I might've missed a dose or lost a dose or whatever on things that they can do so that there's a game plan to maybe get rid of some of these. Um, and, you know, quite honestly, you'd be amazed. Uh, you wouldn't because you practice in this field, but how often we can really simplify the medication list and patients really like it. They feel like they've accomplished something. You know, I've been out, I've been able to do a little 20 minutes of gardening three times a week. So, you know, I, you know, I don't need my, the pain's not so bad, so I don't need my pain meds. I'm sleeping better, so I might not need a Z at bedtime. And I think having the patient be engaged as an active participant and that what they do will make an impact. And I, patients I've found for the most part really love it. Now, if they say, no, I really can't get off that one, then I say, oh, okay, I understand. What's your concern about this? So again, we're working not on the patient, but with the patient gaining their perspective, which I find just makes you a, a better prescriber, regardless of your specialty. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Barron and Dr. Nathal, for both of your expertise on both of these uh, patient scenarios. We're going to wrap up with the key points for scenario number two. So I think a lot of these are, again, I don't want to belabor the points, but just kind of bringing it together, this whole person assessment for each patient, right? Um, and on top of that, partnering and collaborating with the patient as well as family and caregivers. So meeting that includes meeting patients where they're at, that includes focusing on quality of life, um, and that includes patient preferences as well. So I think both of those points are really important. Um, I really reiterate the importance of medication reconciliation. So med rec, med rec, med rec, right? Every time I see a, a patient, I'm asking them, any new medication since the last time I saw you, any new medical issues since the last time I saw you. And I think I'm sure that you both do the exact same, especially when patients are discharged from a hospital setting, right? Um, focusing on side effects of medications, where can we cut down if possible, looking at how patients are taking medications, who is uh, administering them, and where's their possibilities for um, side effects to get out of control or to be harmful to patients. So these are all really important. Um, and then also, as, as we mentioned, or as we know, there's a lot of medical risk factors for behavioral health conditions, right? Including uh, 
heart attack and stroke, right? We know that we know that there's pretty high risk for people who have a history of MI, a history of stroke to have things like depression. And so I think keeping that in mind on top of looking at medications um, and that kind of goes back to that full person care and looking at kind of all of these different aspects on the table. Subscribe to Moving Medicine today. To learn more about the Behavioral Health Collaborative, visit ama-assn.org slash BHI collaboration. Thanks for listening.